Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The 2024 presidential race kicked off in earnest this week as Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump gave an hour-long speech in Oakland County yesterday. But how much does the GOP presidential frontrunner represent Republican views and preferences locally? And what do Republicans think gives them the best chances to win in Michigan after taking significant losses in 2022? This hour, we'll look at the state of the Republican Party in Oakland, Macomb, and Wayne County next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. WDET. I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson, who returns tomorrow. The 2024 presidential race kicked off in earnest this weekend as Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump gave an hour long speech before a sold out audience while accepting the Oakland County Republican Party's Man of the Decade Award on Sunday. It marked the first time that the former president appeared in Michigan since announcing his bid for the nomination and perhaps signals the importance of this state to many Republicans, both locally and nationally. Earlier this year, for example, Senator Debbie Stabenow announced she would not seek reelection in 2024 after 20 years in the office. And as a result, the National Republican Senatorial Committee announced they will aggressively target Uh, the seat next year as part of their hope to flip the Senate nationally. And this month, we learned former Governor Rick Snyder is taking an active role in fundraising for the Republican effort to win back the Michigan House. Accordingly, both national and statewide, Michigan is receiving a lot of attention from Republicans who see fertile opportunities to flip the state into Republican control. But what is the best way for them to do this? Historically in Michigan, we were known as a population with a lot of what folks called Millican Republicans, named after longtime Michigan Governor William Milliken, who was seen as being willing to work across the aisle to govern in a more moderate manner and represented a view of conservatism willing to compromise to get things done. But times change, and in the current political climate, it seems various factions of the GOP in southeast Michigan have priorities that may not neatly fit with the rest of the party. But what are those priorities? Do the views of Donald Trump represent the majority of the Republican Party in Michigan? What is animating the state's GOP, and what are Republicans doing to try and win back the Michigan House and Senate this fall? A little later, we'll take a look at what Republicans in Oakland, Wayne, and Macomb County say is the best way for them to win the state and move forward heading into 2024. But before we do that, we're joined by a couple of guests who have unique insight into the Michigan GOP. We're going to start this one off with Dennis Darnoy, who's a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data. Dennis, welcome back to Detroit Today. 
Thanks, Nick. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you being here as well, especially because when I hear tracking voter data, uh, that's something that's really important to me in the context of this with Donald Trump coming back to Michigan uh, on Sunday and signaling again that importance of this state as being one that he'll probably need to win if he wants to uh, uh, win it over. But for you, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, does Donald Trump continue to have appeal in Michigan? Absolutely. And I think what we saw in 2020, um, Donald Trump's numbers actually went up in terms of the support that he received. Granted, you know, uh, Joe Biden won the state. But when we look at 2016 and 2020, uh, what we do see is that there are many Michigan voters and especially Republican primary voters who are willing to uh, not only back Donald Trump, but actively support his campaign. So when we do look at Michigan, and you are correct to say that Michigan's going to play a major role in deciding the next president, uh, Donald Trump sees very, very fertile ground here for his campaign and his ability to win the state uh, in the upcoming presidential. Also looping into the conversation right now, we have Bill Nowling, who's a longtime political communication strategist in Detroit and worked on Rick Snyder's first campaign for governor. Bill has also worked for the Michigan House Republican State Republican Party and state Senate Republicans. Uh, Bill, welcome back to Detroit today also. Well, it's great to be here. And I, you know, we might have to check on, on my friend Dennis because you, you called him a Republican consultant. And I mean, I think his skin might be burning a little bit there. So, <laughs> well, I called you a Republican consultant also. And I want to know. I know, I know. It's, you know, the labels, the labels, my labels are fluid. That's how I like to say it right now. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think Dennis is right. I, you know, I definitely think that there is, uh, you know, a strong component in the Republican Party that is, you know, what we call the Trumpers or the Trump camp. And, you know, it is from from my experience, you know, this has been a long time brewing. There has been a movement for movement conservatives and movement conservatives are different than regular conservatives. Movement conservatives are we're moving the conservative agenda at all costs. Whereas, you know, your your run of the mill kind of Millican Republican would say, you know, we're going to we're going to take Republican conservative victories when we can. But we're kind of compromised to get things done, as you pointed out at the top of the show, the movement conservative. And these are the ones who are the base now. They are not the the people like me. They're not like the people in, in, in my community who are more Millican style Republicans or the Rick Snyder style Republicans. They're the ones who are, we are willing to embrace even things that make us uncomfortable. For example, the things Donald Trump does in order to achieve the conservative end that we want. And that's, the, to me, that is a much more scarier proposition than whether or not Republicans can win the state is, can we find candidates that can run that are that are sane and responsible conservatives who have conservative principles, but are not going to put the advancement of the state at risk just because somebody's proposal goes against my conservative principles. Well, then let's look at that na at a national perspective before we dig down locally here in Michigan. Is there a candidate that's out there right now, Dennis, that you think could fit that bill and could be someone Michigan might get behind but doesn't have the polarity of a Donald Trump? 
Well, I think the the problem becomes um, with Donald Trump, he has a base level of support. So whether you want to call it a 35% or 37%, whatever you want to say, he has that rock solid. When you have 12 or 13 other candidates trying to go after the remaining part of the pie, we're going to see what we saw in 2016, where there may be one candidate who who certainly has you know great appeal, but he's losing votes or she's losing votes to other members within the party. I think if you saw uh, you know if there were an opportunity for it to be head to head early on and not late in the process, again we saw that with Ted Cruz last time, um, then maybe there's a better chance for um, you know for someone who is more aligned, I think, with the Rick Snyders and the Bill Millikans of the world to succeed. But right now that is not how the field is shaping up. Yeah, and the crowded field does seem to work towards the advantage of Donald Trump, who, again, is facing two criminal uh, trials right now. He's facing a federal case, criminal case. He's facing a state New York case. He's got investigations. These these cases may go to trial before we even get to uh, the election. So there's a lot up in the air there. But still, it seems that he's the guy that a lot of folks here are thinking of putting forward. So I present this to you, Bill. Um, let's say Donald Trump does take the ticket with Michigan, with Joe Biden winning Michigan by three points last year. Some would say it was because of Trump. Some might say it was because of the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs about abortion. But can uh, Michigan, Michigan uh, elected representatives, first of all, can he take the state and can uh, down ballot uh, representatives also win if Donald Trump's at the top of the ticket in 2024? You know, it's, you know, I think, you know, I, all things being equal, and if they line up the way, or similarly that they lined up in the last presidential election, then I think, I think Joe Biden wins. You got a very popular Democrat governor who is all in to seeing Joe Biden win. This is her home state. She's going to do everything in her power to make sure that, that the machine that she has put in place turns out to get Joe Biden elected. And I think in a two-way race, I think he does. I think where where Democrats need to be a little bit concerned is if uh, something like the No Labels Party mm. comes into play. This is something that Fred Upton and a few others have been talking about uh, of putting up a presidential candidate along the lines of an independent candidate. But, you know, if you think about it, the Joe Biden won by 158,000 votes in the last election, which in a state like Michigan's not a lot. And a third party candidate who's a moderate centrist type candidate could pull moderate uh, Republican voters and moderate Democrat voters who maybe have concerns about Joe Biden over age or over policy and provide them a place to go where Trump is untenable to them and Biden makes them a little queasy for a couple reasons, they could go and vote uh, for a third party. So I'd be very concerned if there was a third party, which is what Fred Upton is talking, he's the representative from Southwest Michigan, what he's talking about doing, um, I think that that could be very problematic in a state like Michigan, which is uh, still very purple, even though 
it's it's getting darker purple as we move on into the election cycles. Yeah, you know, we are seeing a lot of that. And, you know, speaking of uh, all of these things happening here, I do want to also hear from you as we speak again with Bill Nowling and Dennis Darnoy. We want to hear from you also out there listening uh, to the conversation. Are you a Republican? Why do you believe Republicans lost the House and Senate in Michigan last election? And what do you think the GOP needs to do to win it back next election? And are you following this presidential election? Who do you think is the best candidate? Let us know why by giving us a call. 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019. Dennis, I'm going to ask you a little bit about uh, the effects a third party candidate might have as well as the viability of winning down ballot. Uh, if Donald Trump were to be the nominee on the ticket. But before I do that, I do want to come back to you, Bill, because you did mention something about potentially having third party candidates and a little bit more of a moderate bend. And someone you're familiar with, Rick Snyder, who I didn't expect to hear from in this cycle, uh, made some news recently as uh, announcing that he's going to be or it was announced that he's going to be trying to help Michigan House Republicans win. I just want to know from your perspective, Rick Snyder, with the things happening in terms of how his administration ended, the Flint water crisis. Is he a figure that can help Michigan Republicans earn money that they've been having difficulty doing and win in the House and win back the House in 2024? In some some respects, I think he I think he can, you know, as a as a as a standard bearer for the party or for uh, for a general statewide election, you know, given everything that happened in Flint, you know, I just don't think that that's that's a viable alternative. But where Republicans lost, um, I mean, they lost a lot of lot of respects. But where Republicans down ticket lost, and that's when you start talking about, you know, control of the of the of the legislature and the House and the Senate. They lost because the typical large donor to the Republican Party sat on their pocketbooks. Mm. They didn't give in the amounts that they gave before. And that that's where you really need, um, if you're going to mount a ground game uh, at, at a statewide level for legislative races, you really need to have those big ticket, big check donors engaged. And they don't give to candidates, they give to the party, they give to uh, other PACs that are being active to influence the election, you know, they need to they need to write those checks for big dollars. You know, unions do them for Democrats, business folks do them for Republicans. That's kind of the the math that's always worked. But it's been those big 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 donors that donate to the party that allows the party to go out and mount a statewide campaign uh, and yeah. help local local candidates down down ticket. So right. that's where Rick and and Bill Parfit, who is uh scion to the uh, to some of the Upjohn uh family fortune and legacy in, in Kalamazoo and uh, and until recently a very large donor to the Republican Party. Mm. Um that's where they can help because they can go in and make the case right. that even though Trump is on the ticket, what they're raising money to do is really to ensure that we take back control of the House, because I think that there's enough business people that have seen the agenda that the Democrats have put forward. And if they don't 
outright yeah. dislike it. They at least want to put the brakes on it a little bit. Right, right. But you also mentioned folks like Fred Upton. I'm thinking of a Peter Meyer, this kind of maybe disaffected, more Millican Republican class going a little bit more independent and possibly having a, a third party candidate. That's why I want to loop you back in, Dennis, because, you know, you work with the numbers and a lot of times in history we've seen that third party candidates don't do so well is that something that might be viable in Michigan? Is there enough of a disaffected voter class that that's something that actually could be viable in 2024? No, not really. And I mean, when when Bill was talking about this, I was nodding my head in complete agreement because um, what would happen with a third party here in Michigan is something that we saw very similar to 2016, um, where you know, it happened to be Gary Johnson on the Libertarian ticket, Jill Stein on the Green ticket, but they were able to pull in the 2016 election about, you know, between five, I think it was five or six percent of the overall vote. And, you know, there we can go over why Hillary Clinton didn't win Michigan, but one of the reasons was because of a larger third party vote. Mm. In twenty in twenty twenty, it was a straight up race between uh Trump and, and Biden, and the third parties combined got about one point eight percent, which is about traditional. Uh, so when we see a third party here in Michigan, the only thing it could do really is, as Bill was saying, take away votes from from Biden and and deliver the uh, deliver the ticket to to Trump. Yeah, we're going to take a moment right now to take in a call. Frank in South Line. Go ahead. You're on Detroit today. Hey, good morning. Um, you know, I thinking about, you know, the, of course, people vote for third party just as a protest vote. It's not about any issues or support or anything. And uh, and then there's also a large proportion of people that, that like what I do is I my, when I turn my ballot in, it's mostly blank. And more and more people are doing it because I wouldn't vote for any of those idiots, especially right. in the presidential election. And I don't think that the parties really understand that, you know, they're, they're applying to, you know, like with uh, Republicans in Michigan were in control because of gerrymandering. It was a technical issue. It didn't have anything to do with the issues and what people need out here on the ground, especially like taxes. And you look at the, you know, the, the huge array of little hustles that all these people have for taxes. Yeah. And, you know, we don't get those kinds of things. We're working people. You know, we pay our taxes, then we get our paycheck. Yeah. You, you know, know, Frank, it's not... I, I, yeah, just jumping in because uh, I got to get to the uh, our next guest pretty soon. But I do appreciate that point, especially the gerrymandering point, because I think that is something that does get lost sometimes when people look at the way forward for the Republican Party. But, uh, Dennis, I do kind of want to ask you to uh, answer Frank's question. And I also kind of dovetailing off of that, have thoughts about like, you know, with primaries, sometimes people say you go further to the base or but then that hurts you in the general <laughs> versus if you go more moderate, that might be a candidate that could win in the general, but you might not make it out of the uh, of the nomination process. But yeah, I present his statements and comments to you related to gerrymandering. Go ahead. Sure. And I think Frank's spot on. He's not the only one who, who takes that approach. When you look at, you know, let's say the total number of votes for governor and then go down to secretary of state or attorney general, they don't line up um, because people do opt to, to vote out. 
uh, or, or not vote at all. Yeah. But going back to the gerrymandering issue, and, and, and again, I was nodding my head when Bill was talking about, um, you know, Governor Snyder uh, helping out House Republicans. The funny thing is with the independent commission, what we now have is we have seats that are very, very competitive. And going into this cycle, we're going to have about 14 to 16 House seats, which are going to determine who controls the House. And those seats are going to require and they're going to need moderate Republicans because they are very evenly split uh, among the partisan base. So the fact that the Republican Party in Michigan is bankrupt on every level, uh, having someone like a Bill Parfit, having someone like a Governor uh, Snyder to come in, and obviously they're going to be looking to support and recruit candidates that are going to be able to win in these very even partisan districts is going to be very advantageous for Republicans winning back the House, whether or not Donald Trump is on that ticket. Yeah. The problem, as you mentioned, is when you get into a Republican primary, can you you know, beat those base candidates? Um, again, I don't think that the party is going to be able to support monetarily these candidates. And as Bill said, if the bigger donors come in and support, let's say, the more moderate, the more business friendly, the more uh, you know, the candidates who actually want to govern and pass something and get things done, I think it gives the Republicans a great opportunity for taking back the the, the House uh, in this upcoming cycle. Mm. Frank and South Lion, again, thanks for your question. I wish I could keep you guys all day. I can't. But one more question to you, Bill. Maybe the most important question about this uh, whole entire deal happening on Sunday. How can we're in 2023? How can you win a man of a decade award? Uh, when the year's not even halfway done. Do you, I don't understand it, Bill. Help me out here. Well, you know, I don't perceive to try to define, divine the, the minds of, you know, the crazy factor of my party. But I mean, I think, I think what you're seeing here is, you know, the, what has happened in the Republican Party, by and large, is that it has turned into a personality cult mm. around Donald Trump. And you have everyone who shows up to these events that have bought into that dream of the Donald Trump persona and everybody else like myself and, and other reasonably minded Republicans who have either sat on their vote by not casting it or have voted on the other side of the aisle because it was the it was the lesser of two evils, which is the camp that I find myself in right now. Um, but I think that I don't read too much into it. I think yeah, for everybody who thinks that Donald Trump is the man of the of the decade, they're just going to nod their head. And for everybody who doesn't think that he's the man of anything, they're just going to roll their eyes. You yeah, know? So, yeah. I mean, people's opinion on Donald Trump have been made up. Yeah. It's to me, it's it's how can you know, conservative candidates come through and make the case that they're the conservative candidate that can win in the general election. Right. And I think in, in competitive primaries, that's got to be the discussion because right. in every one of those seats that that Dennis talked about that's competitive, they're represented, represented, represented by a Democrat who does not share the views of almost half of the electorate, at least, you know, from a party standpoint. So that point has to be made in the primary and candidates need to step up and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to have to do it for us there. Bill Nowling, longtime political communication strategist and Dennis Darnoy, political consultant. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having us. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks. When we continue, we're going to take a tour around Southeast Michigan, starting off in Oakland County with the mayor of Troy, Ethan Baker. You're listening to 1019 WDET. WDET brings you news about your neighborhood. WDET plays music from the Motor City. WDET amplifies the voices in our community. WDET is your public radio station. It's Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Nick Austin, filling in for Stephen Henderson. Taking a look at the state of the Republican Party across southeast Michigan. We're going to take a tour through all of our counties, Wayne, Oakland and Macomb. But we'll start off right now with Macomb. And, you know, when we think about what needs to occur in order to uh, have a political power, it might sound simple, but it's winning elections. And that means getting more votes than the other side. Uh, this is in vital importance for the Republican Party right now, because as we look across our different regions, sometimes the idea ideas that the Republican Party has may not line up with portions of other regions. So we want to unpack exactly what's animating folks, what's animating Republicans in different counties, and also what it might take to win the state house back. And to do that, to start, we're joined by the mayor of Troy, Ethan Baker, who ran as a Republican in 2018 for the Michigan State House race as well. Mayor Baker, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Nick. Thanks for having me. But I got to start off with a correction. You Please. said Macomb County. We're here in Oakland County. Yeah, did I say Macomb County? I'm 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 diving <laughs> around in lots of places. Troy is definitely in <laughs> Oakland County. I agree with you. So let's get the viewpoint of Oakland County Republicans. Uh, let's start here, just generally. Why do you think Republicans lost the Michigan House and Senate last election? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, I think honestly, I, I, let me start with my other disclaimer too. I'm as the mayor of Troy, I'm a nonpartisan candidate, I, so Fair. I got to stick by that. Uh, we're by charter, we're nonpartisan. I did obviously run as a Republican in the past. That's not right. hidden secret. But you know, I think a lot of factors went into the state house flipping. Um, part of its messaging, part of it was the redistricting. Right, you, you take away years of a system that had um, certain districts gerrymandered, and uh, things changed. Um, I also think Oakland County, as you look. Um, it's trended blue. Certainly Troy has what you once used to be a red city um, turned very purple and, you know, at times dips closer to blue now. And I think all of those things, all those factors combined to, to flip the state house. But, you know, I was listening to your previous guest. I don't think it's inconceivable to think that the state house flips back um, with some good quality candidates running. So, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not so sure we're in a, a new era of, you know, blue Oakland County or, you know, a Democrat-dominated state house in Michigan. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for candidates on both sides to make the case, and um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the state house flip back. Yeah, I think that you're right there. One of the reasons we got rid of gerrymandering was to have more competitive elections that maybe reflected uh, jurisdictions a little bit more accurately than some of our previous maps did. Uh, so let's get into that then. If you think it's possible that Republicans could win back the state house and Senate next election, what do you think they need to do in order to do it? I think it's always about cogent messaging, right? If you, if you, for example, here in Troy, and, and you know, I, I work really well with our, our Democratic state representatives. Um, we've got two now. That part of the new um, districts, we, we split Troy into two state house districts as opposed to one. So I'm not so sure that 
the new districts are better by any means. But, you know, I work really well with the Democrats. I work really well with the Republicans. That's my role. What I have to do as mayor of Troy. But, you know, I think if you look at the if you really focus on the issues that matter to the residents here in Troy and throughout the state and, and talk more about, you know, their day to day lives and what you can do for them versus what your previous guest was talking about, some of those you know politics of personality and, and getting hung up on those things, that's going to make the big difference. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not a numbers guy here where I'm looking at, I'm not a political analyst, so I don't know from a registration standpoint what the numbers look like, but my understanding was, you know, for example, the district here where Representative McDonald is our Democrat um, state representative, you know, that to me seems like a fairly safe Democrat district. So I don't suspect a district like that necessarily flipping back, but some of the marginal ones, I mean, it doesn't take much. I, you know, I ran for state house in 2018. I knocked 7,000 doors. I ended up losing in a primary by a couple hundred votes. I mean, you can, these districts are not um, so difficult to flip if you get the right candidate out there and get the right message and going. Just it's, a, it's about getting, getting to the voters themselves. Yeah. And um, I still think we can do a lot of retail politicking in this state, and people really enjoy that. So if you have somebody who's putting out reasonable alternatives to what the current state rep is doing, it should be a district that could be flipped. Yeah, it, there were razor thin margins. And I'm glad you bring that up, because sometimes when we think about these ways, you're not realizing how much of a pin's head that uh, these things are turning on. Uh, and you talk about 700 votes and things like that. But when we think of Troy uh, and we think of Oakland County Republicans, you know, a lot of folks also, when they think of Republicans, they just think of that national messaging, maybe what some refer to as MAGA. Trump was in town recently. But that might not be necessarily what you're hearing from specifically when you're knocking on doors, when you're talking to people in your city and out in Oakland County. How would you believe, do you believe that Troy and Oakland County Republicans differ from the national messaging, the Trump messaging uh, in terms of Republicans nationally? What are the biggest differences that you see in terms of policy preferences? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I actually am not so sure. Some of the policies, I think, from a Republican standpoint, there's a lot of Republicans who are, you know, pretty far to the right and even in the middle who really support a lot of the policies that happened under the Trump administration. I mean, that, that seems to be a pretty common thing I hear out in the community. I think what actually what happens in Oakland County is a lot of the differences as it relates to what some may call a Trump Republican is the, is the personality stuff. Um, you know, we're a community here in Troy, especially 2016, Trump and Clinton split the vote pretty evenly. I think they each had about 20,000 votes in the city of Troy. And then four years later, you know, Biden beat Trump or had 7,000 votes more than Trump did. So something didn't resonate um, with President Trump here in the city of Troy specifically. And, and I'm not so sure it's so much policy as, it, as much as it was personality. Yeah. Um, Oakland County as a whole is a little bit different, right? I mean, we look at, as you look at how Oakland County is evolving, and certainly there's a more rural component up north and down southeast, down where we are. Um, it's becoming more urban, believe it or not. As much of a suburb as Troy is, we're, we definitely have a different vibe than, say, out in White Lake or, you know, somewhere a little further north. So uh, um, I think that the the difference moving today is that the community here in Troy and in a lot of Oakland County is really, you know, we're highly educated. We're really focused on, you know, white-collar jobs for the most part. Education's a big part, a big component of why we're living in Oakland County. We've got great schools. So I think we just look at the world with a different lens mm -hmm. often. Um, but that said, I'm telling you, I've got really good friends and who really still like President Trump and will support him because they ultimately care more about some of the policies he's done 
than some of the things he says. Right. And, you know, that's the reality that everyone needs to face. Yeah. Yeah. And Ethan, that's one of the reasons why I asked the question the way I did, because I think you're right. A lot of people think about the personality when it comes to it, the affect, how the presentation occurs, and they're making judgments on that. But I'm thinking about policy positions. One of the policy positions he really uh, goes in on is immigration. A lot of, you know, anti-immigration rhetoric that you hear. However, even recently here on this show, when we were talking about the nursing shortage, one of the things a, a representative for hospitals brought up is the need for more immigration. So that'd be, for example, a policy preference that I'd wonder, well, wait a second, if Trump is anti-immigration, uh, would you hear from your constituents, for example, that they would be also anti-immigration, even though that might be something that I think big business would be interested in, having more workers drive economy here locally? Or things like book bans. You, men- you mentioned education, for example. I mean, is that something that you're hearing from your constituents that, yeah, we think we should ban books in schools, we're concerned about that, or they have a more open stance on that. A couple of good points on that. Listen, Troy is 29% foreign born. Right. We have a, you know, we were very diverse. We have a lot of immigrants. We have a lot of legal immigrants. And I think that is the, the delineation there, right? I mean, even I, I watched some of Trump's speech yesterday and, you know, he's, he doesn't say he's against all immigration. He says he's against illegal immigration. So okay. It's all for legal immigration, right? I mean, and, yeah. listen, I'm not a Trump. I'm not a Trump spokesperson. So <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I get. I'm not. That's so not that, what I'm asking. I understand, right? Yeah, no, and and I think that sure, but yeah, some of our big businesses, some of our you know the hospitals, some of the big corporations, they they depend heavily on immigrant um, immigrants coming into our city and into our region to do really amazing work. I mean, like I said, we're twenty nine percent foreign born here in the city of Troy. We've got a lot of amazing doctors and engineers and, um, you know, other healthcare professionals that have come from, whether it's, you know, India, Southeast Asia, and certainly the messaging coming out of um, the national party about, you know, which appears anti-immigrant is not going to help those people want to support, you know, the Republican Party, if that's what they think the Republican Party is about. I don't actually think that is what the Republican Party is about, but, you know, that's probably a different conversation for a little bit deeper time. Um, as it relates to the education stuff, you know, there's um, there's a lot of concern by a lot of parents, even in Troy, about, you know, what books are available in the school libraries, what's being taught at the, at the school level. And I think that our school board and our, you know, teachers and principals and a superintendent have to work really hard to have proper communication with these parents to express often valid concerns um, to get everybody on the same page, though. You know, it, misinformation can scare people, and it's really important that we communicate, communicate, communicate to get out the facts and to let people know really what's going on and then and then listen and be ready to work with them to try to make things better for our schools and for our students because ultimately i don't think anyone can deny we all we all want our students to do well we all want our schools to do well we just have to find how that's going to work so there's the least amount of friction. Right. Mayor Baker, I got one more question before you for you before I have to let you go. We're going to we're going to do it this way. We got an open Senate seat. Republicans looking for a nominee. Who do you think they should put up to be the nominee for Senate uh, in 2024? So it's a great question that I can't figure out myself. I keep looking at all the potential candidates. You, you know, you're talking about in the previous segment about, you know, you have to win at a a primary, you got to run to the right, and then you get in the general, and it's hard to come back sometimes. You see what happens to someone like you know, Peter Meyer on the western side of the state. He's somebody that's got name ID and some financial means to get in a race, I think, and be competitive. Um, with our, you know, Kevin Rinke, you've got some people that have got some name ID and some money. I hate that that's the, the qualifying factor, but um, it seems to be in today's day and age that that might be. Um, 
I don't, I don't actually know though. It, it, we've got some time to figure it out. It, it used to be that we didn't, you know, figure out all these candidates a year or two, or two years in advance, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. <laughs> We'd wait until, you know, like for example, we've got city elections here in Troy this year. So I'm kind of focused on the city elections this fall and then we'll look at what happens in 24. But it's just, uh, it's tough. I mean, we really have to kind of you know, get through all of these, uh, these times of, um, politics of anger and people are really looking for people that are going to bring them together. And that could be a Republican. It could be a Democrat, but it's got to be somebody that's going to make people feel good about themselves and good about the state and country they live in. Otherwise it's just going to continue this pattern of, um, you know, hurt, I guess. All right. Well, well, Mayor Baker, I'm going to let you get back to your local elections. Then you got things to do, but we'll have (laughs) to make sure to have you back on in the future. Mayor Troy Baker of uh, the city of Troy. Thanks for not Troy Baker, Ethan Baker for the city of Troy. Thanks for joining us on Detroit today. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Definitely. When we return, we're going to continue our look at uh, the state of the Republican Party in our different regions, going into Wayne County, specifically downriver with Council Member Cody Dill, as Detroit Today continues in just a moment. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Nick Austin filling in for Stephen Henderson as we continue our look around Southeast Michigan to the state of the Republican Party and the different counties, this time taking it to Wayne County, specifically going to the city of Gibraltar in the Downriver area. We're joined by Cody Dill, who's a city council member for Gibraltar. Cody, welcome to Detroit Today. All right, we got a little bit of issues with Cody, but we'll move to, we also have another guest that we can work on getting on the show, is we're going to take a look at what's happening in Macomb County as well. But while we are taking a look at what's going on in Southeast Michigan and different regions in the Republican Party, we also want to hear from you. Are you a Republican? And why do you think that Republicans lost the Michigan House and Senate last year? And what do you think the GOP needs to do to win them back next election, win back the uh, House and Senate locally? Also, are you following the presidential election? Who do you think is the best candidate? And what policy positions are most important to you? Where do you think the National Party gets it wrong? You can give us a call, 313-577-1019. Again, 313-577-1019, and we can work you into the conversation. One of the reasons we're focusing on this right now, of course, is Donald Trump was in in uh, town. He came back for his first uh, political stop, we could say, as part of the 2024 presidential uh, nomination process that he's going through with the Republican Party. And during an hour-long discussion, he brought up a lot of things that uh, he, he was saying about the state of the Republican Party. But when I'm talking to Republicans here in Michigan, those things aren't always completely consistent. That's why we're trying to get an idea of what is really animated the party here to make sure that we're understanding what those ideals are, especially when you consider the losses that the party took statewide in 2022. Was it a result of gerrymandering? A lot of people are saying that. But if it was a result of gerrymandering, you would think everyone knew that that was happening. Why did that occur? Right now, we're going to move to Macomb County as we have Jeff Payne with us. Jeff Payne's the managing editor at the Macomb Daily. Jeff, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Good morning. So, Jeff, you're out there in Macomb County. What have you heard from uh, Republicans out there will strike that? I just want to ask you first, personally, why do you believe Republicans lost the Michigan House and Senate last election? Well, I, you know, just looking at the districts that we cover, um, you know, the the fact that they crossed uh, south of Eight Mile uh, for the first time in, you know, my uh, my professional career um, made a difference. Yeah. You know, you look at the uh, um, the hotel district, you know, that that runs along the water. Um, he he lost that in Macomb County, but he made up votes in uh, Wayne County. Uh, that put him over the top. Um, and that that's just one example of, uh, uh, you know, we, we had a few few districts that, uh, um, you know, folks with 313 area codes mm-hmm. um, ended up uh, flipping pretty tight races. And, uh, you know, yeah. Jeff, that is something that I hear a lot um, on Detroit Today and when talking with people out in Macomb County. Really, those new districts, really a lot of attention was paid to that. And maybe to the extent that everybody saw that that was how the new districts were drawn. Maybe they didn't necessarily understand what the effect of that would be. But now we've had a race through that cycle. So uh, do you, what ideas do you have? What do you think Republicans would need to do to win back the state house and Senate next election when it comes to Macomb County? Well, I, I would say, you know, locally in Macomb, uh, keep an eye on the 58th district. Mm. Um, Nate Shannon of Sterling Heights. Um, he's term limited. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's done very well um, for, for three cycles there. Um, I, I would think that one's going to be in play for the Republicans. You know, the neighboring district, the 57th, um, is Republican. And uh, it's, it's a very purple uh, district. So, um, you know, looking, looking short term, I, I would say that's probably, you know, the Republicans' best opportunity to, uh, to flip a district next year. We'll definitely keep an eye on that one. And uh, speaking of uh, Republicans out in Macomb County, before we loop Cody Dill back into the conversation, I just want to get an idea of how Macomb County Republicans may differ from their counterparts across the rest of Michigan as well as nationally. Are there any distinct issues that you've seen or heard from that really animate Macomb County residents not uh, more, Macomb County Republicans more than in other places or maybe some places where they disagree with the National Party or Michigan generally? Well, it's it's actually a very divided party right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you went back to 2016, you know, it, it was in lockstep with uh, with Trump um, and uh, that there, there's been fissures in in that, you know, you uh, last year you had uh, the party chairmanship um, resolved in court mm-hmm. Um you know, and, and, and that's, I mean, you had two, two uh, um, county uh, conventions held. Um, it's, it's um, yeah, you know, and, and on, on both sides, both Republican and Democrat, yeah. um, interesting times right now. Yeah. You, you've got a divided GOP, and on the Democratic side, you have a transition to a new, new chair. Um, so uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out yeah, in wanna- the coming year. I want to loop in an elected official now into this conversation, speaking again with Council Member Cody Dill for the city of Gibraltar. Cody, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us, Councilman Dill. So I do want to get an idea of what you're seeing also uh, there in Gibraltar. As we've looked at Oakland County, we've spoken a little bit about Macomb County. From what you hear, are there any differences in what you hear in your constituents and what's really animating them uh, moving forward in terms of the Republican Party downriver? So downriver, a lot of it's 
going on is it seems that fundraising has been an issue. Mm. Um, it seems that the messaging is on point with the um, Republican Party in, in our area. I mean, there isn't a very large party in GOP here in Wayne County, but what, what's going on is messaging seems to be consistent uh, around my area, at least, but it was fundraising. And in the primaries, when we would get into a primary election, there'd be five, six candidates. You know, and, and going back to uh, uh, Reagan's 11th commandment uh, that he used when he ran for governor of California was not beating up other Republicans. Hmm. So, you know, essentially his his 11th commandment was thou shall not speak ill of another Republican in public. Yeah. Well, a lot of that was going on. And I mean, that's going on in the National Party even worse. I mean, it was going on in the, uh, the 2016 election. Um, and we constantly see that today. Um, I see that as being a big issue. Uh, I hear from a lot of folks in our area. I know the abortion issue is very big, um, especially downriver. I, I, I spoke with a lot of folks during that election, and abortion was just a heavy hitter in this region. And, and the Republican Party just had no funding to get off and you know communicate their message um, and, and their beliefs. And the Democratic Party really did have the funding for that. So they were able to communicate their, their efforts and get that across while the Republicans were really, you know, uh, back at the start line trying to, you know, get going with messaging and uh, uh, funding. Yeah, I need a couple of clarification on a little bit of this, though. You said abortion was a big driving issue downriver. Do you mean that it was animating Republicans to come out and vote or it was more depressing the vote? Were there Republicans who were against what was happening in terms of the messaging with abortion or was it just getting the other side out? I need a little clarification there on how it was uh, changing things. So from what I've seen um, uh, in the area, I don't think it was depressing the vote. Um, I think it got more uh, Democratic voters out to vote. I, I think that's really what drove that was um, the Democratic vote outvoted the Republican vote. Um, there, there are more registered Democrats in the region. So it really got out the base for the Democratic Party, while the Republican Party you know, it just didn't it didn't seem like they turned out like the Democrats did in that election. Hmm. So, and I believe that might've been for funding, you know, uh, when it comes to advertising the candidates viewpoints, you know, the democratic party was able to, you know, draw up their base, you know, and, and, and get people out to vote. Um, and I, I want to say that there's a little bit of the stigma for, you know, I don't believe it. Um, but, you know, I could hear it from folks in the region, at least when it comes to the, election in the um the previous election in 2020 being um you know the word stolen they they used i i I don't believe in that personally but i i know that that's what um some folks were still driving it so that might be a depressing issue or i guess depressing the vote not a depressing issue but you know um really drove folks distrust you know personally i don't believe that i i i know our sure. city clerk um and, and i know elections across the state were handled pretty uh, right. confidently i mean across the country you have a small level of election fraud i mean it, it happens in every single election there's an extremely small bit but nothing that could flip an election like was being claimed 
Yeah, I appreciate um, that clarification there, uh, Councilman Dill. We're going to get back to uh, Jeff Payne, the editor of the Macomb Daily, in just a bit. But as I continue with you, uh, Councilman Dill, for the city of Gibraltar, you mentioned funding a lot there being an issue. And, you know, with Christina Caramo now leading the state GOP, funding seems to have become even more of an issue now with some of the top funders uh, feeling like they don't really have a place in the party. So if you think that funding was the biggest issue that hurt uh, your uh, uh, the ability of the Republican Party to perform well downriver, and now you have even less money. What's the way forward to winning back House seats in your area uh, with that kind of funding issue? Really, I believe it is definitely grassroots and getting to your within your district and, you know, who, who supports you and, and smaller donors, if you will. Um, and not going for those large, typical party donors uh, that you often hear about. And, and that's, I think that's truly where it's at and where folks should, um, um, I, I guess, candidates should focus their time and energy if they're trying to get fu- funding. I mean, obviously, you want to reach out to the party to have their support and to have their marketing abilities. But, you know, those grassroots efforts, they really make a difference in the elections. Jeff Payne, out in Macomb County, what are you seeing in terms of the efforts there for funding and increasing that for the state or for the uh, Republican Party out there? And are those efforts going well? Yeah, um, well, I I think it's a a similar story here in Macomb. Um, You know, as far as the grassroots funding, I I will say if you take a look at the uh, Senate race that we had here um, last year, you know, between Marlinga and James, um, uh, James. Uh, outspent Marlinga ten to one, yeah. um, and that was that was pretty much with money that came um, from you know the state and national level, um, and yet you know won that race by a razor thin margin. Um, it was essentially a tie in Macomb County, yeah. um, and actually where where James um, uh, won the race was there's a, a little slice of Oakland, uh, Rochester and Rochester Hills, where he he beat Marlinga up pretty well. And uh, that was the difference in the race. So, um, you know, had uh, the Marlinga claimed in the wake of that one that, you know, had the uh, national party come forward with, with, you know, basically not uh, waving the red flag or the white flag in, in, in that uh, race that, uh, he might have uh, stood a uh, more of a chance. So You know, I do uh, he- hear a lot about money, but I got to say, it reminds me of my music background. When you have an artist and their album's not performing better, they're always like, it's marketing. Marketing just didn't get my, <laughs> my message out there. It's not my product. My music's amazing. The marketing was terrible. And I want to go back to you, Councilman Dill, because I'm hearing a lot about money, but it's, I mean, is, does that mean to you that the message of the Republican Party as it exists completely is fine. Michiganders would go for it. You just aren't able to get enough of it out there. Are there any policy positions or changes that you'd believe could uh, be made to maybe bring in more moderates uh, to help you win nationally or, excuse me, statewide in 2024? Uh, so I, I do believe I, I still believe the messaging is is pretty on point. What I really wish that they would the Republican Party would drive on, which is really big here in Gibraltar, is infrastructure. That is a complete bipartisan issue, you know, across the board is infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. And, you know, that they're, they're, it seems like 
Republican candidates are getting muddied down into national politics when here in the state of Michigan, we got D ratings on a lot of our infrastructure. Mm -hmm. When across the board, if they were hitting on these big infrastructure, I mean, just in our little town here, we've got $32 million worth of infrastructure uh, work that needs to be done between sanitary water and storm sewers. So that's a lot that, that really, you know, comes down to the table uh, when we come to, you know, uh, millages uh when we have to increase taxes i mean that's that's what you know our dinner conversations here in town right councilman dill i need to jump in really quickly just because i got 30 seconds left i appreciate that on infrastructure does that mean with 30 seconds left does that mean that you'd be willing to compromise on things like book bans in schools or some of these kind of more fringe issues to get infrastructure done is that something that you think the republican party should do and what uh, folks in gibraltar would want done Oh, absolutely, absolutely. In, infrastructure is, is a major economic driver in the whole in this region, so infrastructure is definitely should be number one. And things that uh, they should negotiate with, and you know, try to move away from, I guess, national politics, if you will, and more localize the election, and you know, stop, I guess, catering to the national politics. That's going to have to do it there for us, gentlemen. Councilmember Cody Dill, thanks for joining us on Detroit Today, as well as Jeff Payne of the Macomb Daily. That's going to do it for us. Steven returns tomorrow. You are listening to 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. This show is produced by myself and Sam Corey. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Student producer is Mira Kumar. And our music is created by Sam Bowman and Will Sessions. Steven will see you tomorrow. <laughs>